Yakshamash, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And make sure you guys check out Bucky's Fifth Quarter this weekend. It is the number seven Wisconsin Badgers take on the upstart in the, the surging Purdue Boilermakers at Camp Randall Stadium. Should be a soggy one, 2.30 p.m. Central Time, Big Ten Network. Uh, myself, Owen Reese, will be there in the press box watching uh, and giving you all the news, notes, updates, analysis as the game goes along and even after that. So uh, as Wisconsin continues to look to, look to go, what, 6-0 and for the first time since 2011. So it's been quite a while, and they have uh, obviously an opportunity to do so, being, over, I think, over two touchdown favorites. Uh, we'll get to the Badgers a little bit in their road win in Nebraska and looking ahead to the Boilermakers probably in about 20 minutes or so. But first, let's, uh, you know, we talked about it uh, maybe about 10 minutes from now. We'll break down uh, Milwaukee Brewers season. We're talking some MLB play, uh, playoffs uh, with Major League Baseball, and right now uh, Cubs and Nationals are tied in the bottom of the second uh, in uh, while three other series have been decided. We'll, we'll give our thoughts about who will move on and then also uh, talk about the Brewers season that was and how close they were. Literally a game from making the wild card this year's playoffs. But before that, Scott, we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski here. Green Bay Packers come back. Uh, I was at my oldest son's soccer game for the better part of the third quarter. Uh, into the fourth quarter as, it, as the Packers made their comeback. And then they come and uh, they give up the big touchdown. And then next thing you know, you, you can't leave Aaron Rodgers with that much time, over a minute left on the clock. Packers prevail in Big D in Dallas. Uh, thoughts on that game, man? Well, it was a great football game. Um, forget about whether or not you're a Packer fan or a Cowboy fan. And, of course, there was a lot of trash talk on both sides, uh, as you would have imagined, from fans, from the fan bases. It was really a good football game. In a season where there hasn't been a lot of good football games to start the season, and it's been more of the off-field controversies and before-game controversies that have stolen the headlight lines, and, again, partially rightfully so, just because the games on the field haven't lived up to the hype. This one did. This was a great game. Um, people figure you had to figure it was going to be tough. You know, Dallas is good offense. The Packers defense, while I think it's better than last year, still isn't an elite defense, not even a top 10 defense. But I, I, I tend to be, and, and trust me, I, I'm not a expert football picker. Otherwise, I'd be living somewhere else and not in this dreary October Wisconsin weather. But I, I tend to have this. When I get this gut feeling about Packer games, I'm probably 90% right. So, for example, sometimes the Packers will have the ball late, and I feel like they're not going to score, and I'm usually right. And sometimes I get the, the opposite feeling. I have the I, for some reason I just thought the Packers were going to score and and win the game, and everything seemed stacked against them. They had the missed extra points by Mason Crosby, so now. Um, you're down three and you thought maybe Crosby would have a chance to tie it and maybe, you know, because he already was struggling, maybe he would have missed a field goal. Who knows, right? Then later in the drive, Jordy Nelson's on the sideline, you know, and not in the game. It, it, but yet I still felt like they were going to win that game in regulation, and they did. It was, it was a fun game. It was a, a win the Packers needed. It doesn't get any easier. Minnesota's a tough team in Minnesota. Um, 
even with Case Keenum at quarterback and, and with no uh, Delvin Cook, that defense will, will be able to get to, I think, Aaron Rodgers. Hopefully, Bakhtiari and Bulaga both play and are both at least 90%. They're going to need them. Um, but they got the win, and it was a good win. And like I said, a good win and a good end to a really good football game. It was, and, and you know, we had some friends over uh, that we haven't seen in a while. That they were on a, they're from, uh, you know, a missionary trip from yeah, from Africa, and they're in town for a little bit with uh, the birth of their daughter. And he hasn't had a chance to. Yeah, I don't know if he's had a chance to. My buddy has to, to watch a Packer game, and he was, it was uh, exciting to see that play. It was the exact same play called. Uh, you know, that led to that Devontae Adams touchdown. He had seven receptions, only 66 yards, but two big touchdowns. And, you know, you talk about, uh, yeah, it just it seemed like they're going to pull it off. It's just something with Rodgers. And, and, you know, and everyone's made that narrative before about how he can't win close games, but it's, it's always been because of the defense. Giving that, points. Yeah, that's crap. And I think I said this, and not I'm sorry to interject, but I remember that first year as a starter where he would – with two minutes to go, he had the ball. He'd lead him downfield to score, and then the defense would give it up, and he'd get the ball back with 12 seconds left. And like, see, he can't win late. So it, it was a dumb narrative then, and it's even dumber when people say it now. Yeah, exactly. So they um, good to see the Packers go to four to one, four and one on the year. And uh, you know, and before we even look ahead to Minnesota, like talk about uh, on both sides of the ball, two young guys. Stepping up, Aaron Jones, 19 carries, 125 yards, yeah. over six and a half yards per carry with a touchdown. Uh, emerged uh, with Ty Montgomery out with, you know, and then, you know, other players not being effective. He makes an impact, the rookie out of, if I'm not mistaken, UTEP. And mm-hmm. then Blake Martinez, opposite side of the ball, inside linebacker, 12 tackles, seven solo, plus a pass defense, uh, pass breakup, and a tackle for a loss. Uh, making big, like, how... It's nice, uh, sorry, on the offensive side of the ball, like, it's nice seeing a running back step up like Jones. Rookie, they drafted three of them this year, so you're hoping that one of them would step up to be a compliment at the very least to Ty Montgomery. And Jones stepped up with uh, the fact that Montgomery was out, even though it looks like he looks like Montgomery's practiced this week, so we'll yeah. have to see his but role. But he's not taking contact. I'm telling you, that's still... It's still huge. He, all he's got to do is get hit two or three times square in those ribs, and it might be a different story. He might, might be feeling okay now, but like I said, they're not drilling him in practice. Right, exactly. So, uh, just how is it seeing these young guys step up? And uh, how are, in your opinion, like you know, how how big are their impacts on both sides of the ball? Well, it's huge, and you know. The people who there's people who love Ted Thompson, there's people who hate him, then there's people like me who I think are I'm pretty objective. There's things I do he does he I like, there's things he does I don't like. But those last couple of drafts haven't been stellar per se. But it's so it's good to see young guys that he drafted start to take the next step, just like we've seen, you know, Daniels and Perry do that over the years. He doesn't get enough credit for the guys that take the next step. We hear about the Randalls and the Rollins and, and the guys who may not have worked out, but but I don't think people give him enough credit. We Hey, we panned him for drafting three running backs, and here we are week six, and he was already down to starting the, the second back out of the three. So, uh, again, you know, you can think you're deep somewhere, and all it takes is a couple of injuries or a couple of hits. It was good to see for Jones, and it was good to see for Martinez. His team's been thin at depth at linebacker, and, and it was good to see him step up. Um, 
Now you hope that continues because I think Jones, whether he starts or not, whether Montgomery plays or not, I think Jones is going to be a big part of the game plan this week. And I think Martinez needs to continue to stay consistent because they're going to need him. Exactly. It's it's, it's good to see those young players step up. And uh, I mean, we're even hearing better news coming out. Uh, Our buddy Zach Heilprin for the zone Madison uh, for 106.7 here in town mentioned and he had noted that uh, this, I'm just taking a look at this. It sounds like he is Vince Beagle, former Badgers, Outside linebacker team captain, you know, hopefully they're getting more depth back at outside linebacker, uh, especially considering uh, Ahmad Brooks is uh, injured at the moment for for the Packers. So it's a good sign that he has the ability to being coming. It sounds like it sounds like he was uh, getting close to returning, and then uh, you know, Wisconsin, the bad or the Packers have to essentially have like once he starts practicing, have three weeks to activate him off the pup list. So. Uh, yeah, and this is gonna sound this is gonna sound weird, and I don't certainly mean it to sound flip or whatever. I've I have forgot I forgot about Vince Beagle, and not because he's not important, because I was uh, as happy as anybody that he got drafted. But it just, just tells you how the train in the NFL keeps moving. But if you get him back, even for that stretch run, if he's contributing in the last quarter of the season, that's huge. You know, that could be huge for this team. So exactly. No, I mean Nick Perry. Let's look at uh, Rob Dabowski from ESPN, along with countless others uh, that report. Uh, you know, showed the injury report today, and Ahmad Brooks, you know, did not participate on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, which is today, uh, for the latter day. Uh, but Nick Perry did with his hands full participation. Uh, Joe Thomas did not the inside linebacker, uh, which is, uh, I mean, they, they dealt with what uh, what, what they had uh, against Dallas's offense on Sunday. Uh, but it's you know it'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, Kevin King obviously the concussion's the biggest name, uh, but they are you know you do see Bulaga and Bakhtiari both uh, both days limited participation. Uh, when when it comes to Minnesota up ahead now, uh, what scares you the most about about the Vikings in, in this game on Sunday? Their defense. I mean, their defense hasn't been out of the gates as good as they had hoped it could be. Or as good as it could, as good as I think it is, and, and I think they've underperformed a little bit. But it's scary. I, I think they can come at you. Uh, they can. They hit hard. Um, Harrison Smith and guys of that nature aren't afraid to, to to hit you. And a team that has a propensity of you know of, of being injured and has the bad luck that the the dark cloud over their heads. You just worry that you can not only win this game, but come out of it without any more major injuries because it looks like they're starting to turn the corner. They're starting to get healthy again. And then the last thing you would want is two or three more key players to go down in this game. So I think what scares me the most is that. I think uh, offensively, you know, I'm not sure if McKinnon or Murray are going to, how they're going to split the carries, but they're both guys that can have good games and have bad games, obviously. Uh, but Kyle Rudolph is probably the weapon that scares me the most. You know, Diggs is a little banged up. I mean, he's a good receiver, but a little banged up. I think Rudolph's a guy, and, and, and him and maybe Thielen are guys that are going to get targeted a little bit more. But I think Rudolph, uh, some matchups, the, pa- the Packers don't match up well with him. So uh, from a scheme standpoint, he's the player that scares me the most. But that defense is, is better than their numbers show for this year. And 
in terms of their offenses, what do you see from? I mean, I mean, I know Sam Bradford's been on and off. They had Case Keenum in there. Case Keenum's going to start. I'm yeah. pretty sure this week. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's, they have they have the ability to. Well, I think I think Wisconsin, not Wisconsin. Sorry, Green Bay has the opportunity to really do something. You know, to, to really do something against this Minnesota offense. I mean, especially with that the loss of Dalvin you, Cook and others. You I would mean, you, you think. would think, but I'm not until it happens more consistently and becomes a trend. I can't go in there and say, yeah, yeah, because. Look at what happened with Cincinnati. Okay, Cincinnati was abysmal for the first two weeks. They fired their offensive coordinator, had a little less than a week to put a scheme in, and they ran up and down the field against the Packers. Now, on the flip side, the Packers look good against the Bears defensively. I get it. I'm just saying I don't think you can guarantee anything with this Packer defense just yet. They they need to solidify people's belief that they have in them yeah, because – you know, and and I know that Minnesota's offensive line isn't Dallas's offensive line, but Dallas ran the ball at will in the fourth quarter against the Packers. I mean, just really, those linemen imposed their will on and and the Packers. So we'll see. I think you're right. They should they should have a little bit more success than they did against Dallas defensively. But I, I just you just never know with this Dom Capers led defensive squad. Exactly. Um, any concern with? Just, I mean, the long snapping, and, and, and here's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I know this, talking to a bunch of specialists uh, for Walk On This Way and other book and other articles on Bucky's Fifth Quarter. If your name's called and you're a long snapper, uh, you know, and people know you, that's probably not a good thing. And it's uh, with with Brett Gouda, uh, it, it, I forgot the long snapper's name. It's a Tabor. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not not a good sign where two missed extra points uh, is not – it's not a good sign, uh, you know, which it could have cost them the game. Yeah, Sunday. of course. Of course. And one of them was certainly a bad snap. You could see that when the second one was a, a terrible snap. But, you know, the answer to that question is they got to figure this out. I mean, again, we talked about it when we were talking about Vince Beagle. The train keeps moving in the NFL, right? There's no time. That, Good's not coming back this year. He's on the IR, Okay. So you either figure it out with this guy or you get somebody in here now or in the bye week, and you fi- but it's got to get figured out because the margin of error, yes, a missed field goal could cost them a game. It could cost them the playoffs. It could cost them a chance at the Super Bowl, a missed extra point, anything like that. So whatever it is that you have to do to get this right, you, you got to figure it out. Um, and you know, I, I'm not diminishing what specialists have to do for, from a practice standpoint, but I don't see any reason why you don't take your long snapper and your holder and you snap 300 times in practice until you figure this out because there's nothing more important for that long snapper than to get that ball in the right spot so your kicker can kick it. And I don't even care about how he snaps to the punter and if the punter likes it or not, not saying punters aren't important, but your place kicker better be comfortable with that snap, that hold, the turn of the ball, everything. So they got to figure that out. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know the answer, but I do know that it's a problem and it needs to get solved. Absolutely. So it's a, so that's something to keep in any type of NFC North matchup. That third phase of the game can always lead to some intriguing results. Uh, and uh, keys to the game and uh, what's your prediction? Well, keys to the game are the Packers have to find ways to score on this offense, come stay relatively healthy, 
have most of their players that are on the injured list play. And if that happens, I think they win this game uh, 27 to 24. I, I think it's close. And, and again, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's not like college where you want to roll up the score so you can get bonus points in the in the playoff rankings. Just come away with a win against a divisional opponent on the road, and it's a success. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go 28-24 Packers, uh, and it's a, uh, you know, it's, I think they'll have, I think the offense will do well, and I think the defense just does enough. Uh, some weird things happen when you have uh, the NFC North how, and how things happen. So I'll say Packers. Hey, a couple of quick things. Yeah, what's up? Sorry, Jake. I, I was going to say, I know we we're going to transition into some Bruce. I just wanted to obviously hit the two biggest headlines in, that aren't Packer related. Um, Tuesday, Adrian Peterson gets traded from New Orleans to Arizona. And today, Ezekiel Elliott's suspension looks like it's going to be upheld, and he's likely to miss the next six weeks. So a couple of huge stories involving running backs and teams that are still hopeful to get into the playoffs from the NFC. Absolutely, and I mean, I, I just don't know how effective Adrian Peterson will be. Uh, we'll see what Arizona can do with them. Uh, but, they, yeah, they also released Chris Johnson to make that corresponding move to pick up Adrian Peterson. But, you know, think about this. Five years ago, if you would have said, hey, a team has Chris Johnson and they just picked up Adrian Peterson, you would have thought that this was the best running back in the history or best running back tandem, this best backfield in the NFL, history of the NFL. Remember how good those two guys were? Oh, just absolutely. a few years back, but obviously both of them on the the uh, other end of of uh, of their prime. Yeah, and it's it's crazy how an NFL running back shelf life can uh, diminish quickly uh, and and whatnot, especially with a person like Peterson uh, with with his skill set uh, and how fast it can go downhill. But uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, transitioning over to baseball. Uh, right now, update: Washington leads over. Chicago four to one now, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, which would be something to, to would be intriguing to see Washington and the Dodgers go at it. Uh, let me give you let me yeah. give you an interesting stat about this. So if the Cubs were to win, okay, if they were to win, New York's the largest city in the United States, followed by Chicago, followed by L.A., followed by Houston. So as much as people will talk about small markets getting a chance to 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 make make their name known in the uh, in major league baseball if the cubs come back and win the four largest markets in the united states will be the final four in baseball so so much for so much for that small market uh uh small market pride the other thing is to also i just wanted to point out to to take into consideration is uh as we talk about baseball um the uh the cleveland indians Losing and once again, I think we talked about this back in the summertime. How more wild card teams have gotten to the World Series than teams that had the best record in their in their league. Cleveland had their best record in their league. They're not going to the World Series, so that is why it is important to try to make the playoffs, even if it's as a wild card, because you never know how long your window is going to be open, and that kind of leads me into talking about the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I, thought, and, I thought you would. I thought this is where it was going. That's a nice segue. That's a nice well, segue, brother. Well, at, at first blush, the season was a surprise. 
I thought they were going to win 75 games and they missed the playoffs by one game. So again, you could say, well, you know what? That's a successful season. To me, I say hogwash. It's not a successful season only because of the things that happened that cost them a postseason berth. Now, we, you know how when we talk about the NFL and we talk about the Packers, we always talk about the five things that went wrong when the Packers lost the NFC title game to Seattle. It, it wasn't the onside kick. It was other Everything things. Everything else before that. <laughs> correct. So the Milwaukee Brewers missed their window. Now, I know they've got a farm system that they believe in, but until those players come up and contribute, they don't have anything yet. Right, the bird, the bird in hand is more valuable than two in the bush. You've heard that before. Right. So there's five reasons why the Brewers missed the playoffs. Five key things that happened, and I'm going to run them down real quick and not take up too much time. And you can interject on any one of these, but the first one is they did not acquire another starting pitcher by the trade deadline. Maybe Quintana, they, they, the, the Cubs gave up too much for. Sonny Gray was out there. There were other pitchers that would have been better than Matt Garza. And I wanted them to make this move even before Jimmy Nelson got hurt. Jimmy Nelson got hurt, and they were going down the stretch, basically having two out of every five games be bullpen games and spring training type games where you pitch five or six relievers. In turn, that ended up taxing the bullpen, which led to problem number two, that three-game stretch in late September where the bullpen gave up the lead three times in a row. In a season where you miss the playoffs by one game, that's critical. And that's, I think, a byproduct of the fact that the bullpen was overworked because you didn't have five starting pitchers to to trot out there down the stretch. And, and, And that could have even been in May, starting to stretch out Josh Hader to make him a starter because they could have used another starter. Back to the bullpen. I think Corey Knable had a great season. I think he became the closer two weeks too late. Feliz was terrible, and he wasn't getting any better. But I think because of the money they committed to him, and I have no idea why they committed that kind of money to him, he was the closer for two weeks too long. In those two weeks, he blew three games. Any one of those wins would have made the Brewers at least in a one-game playoff with the Colorado Rockies. The next thing that caused the Brewers issues and the reason why they did not make the postseason is the fact that they were that Matt Garza, even though you thought you didn't have any other options, you gave him two starts too many in early September, and any one of those games, if they would have won, would have gotten them into the playoffs. Last but not least was second base. Neil Walker was great. I'm glad the Brewers went out and got him. But again, two weeks too late. You had no answers at second base. You kept trying to trot out VR. Sogard was okay. Okay. But not great. VR was a, a dumpster fire this year. But yet he kept getting at bats and starts at second base when they were, especially when there was a period in time in the second half where that offense was struggling and they kept going to that VR well a few times too many. If any one of these five things didn't happen, their playoff team, don't know if they would have won a wild card game, don't know if they would have beat the Dodgers, but they would have been in the postseason as opposed to ending their season early. Yeah, it's a it, 
it's it's tough. I th- I mean, uh, I mean, I look at it as a success just because of. I mean, to exceed these expectations, does it hurt a heck of a lot more to to be mm-hmm. six games back of the Cubs? Not just that, but I mean, obviously, a game back from from being in the place where Colorado was, absolutely. Uh, and they did go five and five in their last ten too, which didn't help. Uh, and and that came at points too where they they had, you know, you can point the two. Like, I mean, that stretch. I mean, there's so many stretches where, right after the All Star break and that losing streak, you go and then. Yeah, I mean that was a bad. That's what got the Cubs back into it uh, right after they, you know, uh, acquired Quintana. But then uh, they also had, I mean, those extra inning losses on that Thursday and Friday night uh, against the Cubs. The you know the last or the second to last weekend of the season. Well, then the Pirates on that Wednesday. Exactly. So those three extra inning losses where they had the chance, and you know they they had the lead in those Cubs game in the game against right. But that was because I believe the bullpen was overpitched because for a month. They were going out there with just three starting pitchers and having to use bullpen arms. And again, it's a trickle-down effect, and I think it trickled down. The other thing is I just feel like you know, some things went their way. Jimmy Nelson's not going to be available to start the season, and when he comes back, he might not be the same pitcher. Okay, um, So you have no idea next year if this team's going to – you know. Hopefully, some of these guys in the farm system pan out, but there's a good chance. It's possible they might not. And what if next year they finish 10 games out? And the year after, they finish eight games out. And long story short, we get four years down the road here, and they're not even a playoff team yet. People are going to wish they would have traded away uh, some of these. Bo- and, and again, people, we talked about it at the trade deadline. I wasn't saying gut your farm system. You have five outfielders and four shortstops that are your top offensive prospects. You don't. You only have four spots on the major league roster for those players. You're going to have to deal them at some point, Jake, if they all were major league ready, right? So why not deal some of them to get into the playoffs this year? Oh, it's it, it, it just it frustrates me to no end that they didn't do that. And here's a wise baseball man and I were having a conversation, and he said at the trade deadline. The Cubs believed that the Brewers could win the division. That's why they went out and got Quintana. Okay. On the flip side, the Brewers management didn't believe that the Brewers could make the postseason, and that's why they didn't make a corresponding move. It sounds like a tough indictment, but I'm telling you that there was people in that front office that didn't believe that the Brewers had enough to make a run, so they did nothing. And lo and behold, they missed it by one game. So... I, I don't have – I'm not being ridiculous. I'm not saying that you fire your GM. I like the, what he's done, Stearns, with this farm system. I, 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 I'm willing to let his plan pay up, play out, but this fail was on him this year. It should be interesting to see what comes of it uh, with, with next year's team and what they do in free agency. Are they going to open up the, the checkbook? Are they going to make splashes in free agency and trades? Uh, it should be interesting to see what Mark Antanasio well, and David Stearns do. You know, I they're think, gonna have to do something pitching wise. And I, look, they can't afford the top pitchers on the market. I get it. I understand the market size, but they're gonna need some innings eaters, some you know three number three starter guys. Three, you know that you won't necessarily break the bank. But if you get in a situation again next year, you won't have to worry about who the heck's going to pitch two out of every five games. So those are the players I think they need to target in free agency. Um, everything else, offensively, I think their system's good. I think what they have is good. 
but they are going to need some pitching. By the way, uh, before we transition to the Badgers, the Cubs uh, have narrowed the lead now. It's 4-3 going to the bottom of the third. Always crazy. Uh, that's, uh, this is playoff baseball. So it's the best of it is. Uh, let's uh, yeah, let's wait till uh, after. Let's wait till next week to give our predictions for who, who will make it to the World Series because we don't know. If yeah, like, of uh, course. And uh, that, but uh, let's transition over. We got about ten minutes left in the show, uh, and, and you know, again, two thirty p.m. Central Standard Time, Big Ten Network. Uh, and for those that those are oh, that means I won't get to watch it again. Great. You got sling. Yeah. We'll we'll make yeah. something happen. Uh, we'll, we'll 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 talk after the show. Um, okay. But uh, no, it's it's going to be a you know a game that's more intriguing than I think many thought of before the season on paper. And and you got to credit Jeff Brom and for taking over Purdue and not just installing like a an offense that's scoring nearly thirty points a game, putting up four hundred yards per contest. You're looking at a de- a defense now that's allowing right around twenty one points a game, which is a vast improvement from last year. Uh, and even though they give up about 150 yards on the ground, it's still much improved. It's a, uh, as our friend Travis Miller at Hammer and Rails, the SB Nation site that covers Purdue, uh, said to me, they're, they've gone from completely atrocious to somewhat competent. And that, that, that can make a big difference in college football. And so Purdue comes to town 3-2, and 1-1 one and one in the Big Ten, coming off a, a, a big win. Uh, a rain-drenched win against Purdue. That Their game was delayed for, uh, I think, 45 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. And the weather forecast, by the way, Scotty, if you, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, chance of thunderstorms, possibly some severe, later on Saturday. Uh, and so that should bode well, uh, to, and being sarcastic there, the just how this game could go. Uh, and, and maybe that, I would say, even favors Wisconsin due to the fact of, of a rushing attack that, Put up 353 yards in the ground, uh, 249 of those coming from Jonathan Taylor in their 38-17 win in Lincoln on Saturday night uh, to keep them undefeated. And uh, if you know your thoughts real quick on the Nebraska game and and, and what you thought uh, in a hostile environment in Lincoln and Memorial Stadium where they had the blackout where they introduced the 1997 national championship team. Uh, it was a, it was a it was a big time environment for Nebraska and, and Wisconsin withstood it and and in the end, overwhelmed the Huskers. Yeah, Matt LaPay sounded great because I, I was unable to watch it. So it sounded like a great game. I, I listened to the play-by-play, but good win for them. Look, again, they went on a road, and you mentioned it. We talked about it last week, a hostile environment. You got the win. Did they look great through the whole game? No. Uh, did, did, did the passing game struggle? Yes. Did they take care of business in the end? Yes. So... I have no issues with that. I, I, I was happy to see the win. But, um, you know, we were talking about Purdue a little bit. You know, the defense has gotten a lot of play. People are lo- are loving what the defense is doing for, for Purdue, right? But that running game, I, if you've looked at the stats, they have two guys, Fuller and Knox, that are averaging six yards a carry. Um, so I think this is probably the best test so far so far in the season as far as running backs go because I like both of these guys. Um, and granted, their schedule has been soft-ish compared to some of the other teams in the Big Tens. This is probably their best, toughest test Purdue's going to face defensively when they come to Madison. But those running backs might be players to watch uh, on the opposite side. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that and we were, when we had uh, the Q&A, and the Q&A that we had with uh 
our buddies at Hammer and Rails, they mentioned that uh, let's look at the injuries. Uh, it looks like you know Tario Fuller, their leader, he's gonna he's gonna miss their their third straight game, but they get back Markel Jones, who uh, had a, a good game against the Gophers last week, which included the the game winning touchdown. Uh, so I mean that's gonna be intriguing to see how. Uh, you know Purdue does. I mean Wisconsin's. You know that that's what you know, their run defense. That's that's the key. You stop the run, and then you're gonna they can pin their ear, ears back and, and try to rush the passer. And, I think and don't forget, don't forget, Purdue's got a win over an SEC team this year. So, and I mean the big thing with and they and they pushed Louisville to the edge, and I think that's a I mean that's a, a I think a, even a truer even though Louisville lost to NC State last week. You know, it's Louisville. I mean, you have a Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson, right? It's, 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 yeah, that was a, that was a seven point game. I mean, <laughs> heck yeah. Yeah, so I mean, Brown's done a lot, and so the one thing I was talking, when we talked about Jimmy uh, to Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator, yesterday was you know they're talking about gadget plays, and the gadgets have become part of the offense. It's not just a trick play. It's a you know it's become staples of their offense. There's going to be a lot of misdirection, and there's going to be a lot of I think uh, razzle dazzle in this game. And they're gonna and Wisconsin's gonna have to have to keep their eye, you know, read read the eyes. They're gonna have to play, you know, solid defense because uh, this Purdue offense is special. And now that the defense is somewhat competent, uh, you know, this game could be a lot closer than people think. Now I think it's gonna be like a 34-17 win. I think, especially with I mean, if Purdue tries to pass the ball and if it's raining, that that makes it a different type of game, especially with, you know, even though you have Elijah Sindelar and David Blau, the two quarterbacks, and, and, and Purdue's utilizing the two-quarterback system really well, and that's a credit to Brom, uh, and you saw Paul Christ utilize the two-quarterback system last year with Bart Houston and Alex Hornibrook, so these coaches know how to utilize those quarterbacks to the best of their abilities, uh, but, I mean, if it does start raining, and, and it, you know, it's hard to pass the ball in those situations, it should be really interesting to see how, what takes over. Can Purdue get enough running plays uh, and get enough, uh, just basically make enough plays on the ground to, to, to put up points on the board. And likewise with Wisconsin, Wisconsin, uh, you know, I think the key, one of the keys to this game, and it's cliche, but it's turnovers. You know, they had Purdue only beat Minnesota by 14. It was tie. you know, it was in the closing seconds uh, that they, you know, went ahead and then they had to pick six to put it up by two scores. They had four turnovers against the, the Gophers last week. And they're lucky to be, you know, they're lucky to keep it close with that many turnovers. And and they also, you know, with with sacks, Purdue has the, I think they're second worst in the conference right now, uh, giving up 17 through five games. And so if Wisconsin can contain that run game, uh, expect some exotic looks from from Leonard or some blitz packages that are going to be uh, dialed up to to throw off the boiler makers. And so if turnovers are key there, so if they can put pre- some pressure on Blau or Sindelar, and, and hold that run game uh, and create some of those turnovers, especially in a rainy conditions. Uh, it could get ugly, but also unlikewise. The Wisconsin's fumbled away chances, and they've, they've had turnovers that have turned into opponents' points throughout the year. And so uh, that's I think those are my kind of key, especially in that rainy weather, uh, that could flip the advantage for both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's definitely going to be definitely going to be a tougher task than people thought when they looked at uh... – uh, when they looked at the schedule when it first came out. So I, I think that for sure it's one of those things that uh, – it'll, but it'll be interesting. The Badgers should take care of business, though, and we were kind of talking about it 
without trying to jinx the team looking ahead at everything other than that Michigan game. They could really run things all the way through, be undefeated and face either Ohio State or Penn State um, in a Big Ten championship game. But I know they're not thinking that way. They're thinking one game at a time, and that, that obviously makes the most sense. Hey, I wanted to ask you a question that's somewhat Badger-related but not directly Badger-related. Um, your thoughts on Gary Anderson uh, resigning, mutually parting ways at Oregon State? It, it, you know, it's I, I heard that, and then, I mean, at first I thought he did something wrong because they mutually agreed to part ways. It's you know, like, okay, maybe something something happened. But, I mean, it sounds like Gary just got fed up. Uh, and, I, I, and I have nothing really bad to say to Gary because, you know, I had a chance to cover him and, and you know, always good with the media for the most part. He, I, I feel that maybe he's got tired. I mean, you know, if if you take a look at what was on the Oregonian, I think it's called, uh, mm-hmm. they they had like a columnist kind of published some text that they had uh, between each other, and, and Gary was number one for social media. He tried it, and then he pulled it back during the right before the 14th season. But he, it, I would say, you know, it's just a lot of exclamation marks and all this stuff. And it was, I don't know if like it just seemed like he was getting fed up, and he wasn't happy with his assistants, and uh, he realized he couldn't win in, in Corvallis. Now I don't, you know, I, I mean, I know there also there, you know, those reports talked about like they couldn't get the, the, there's frozen funds for. Uh, some renovations to locker yeah. rooms and other parts. So I can understand that frustration. But Gary also had the same things with like admissions and saying he couldn't win at Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like he he couldn't, well, you know, he couldn't replicate the Wisconsin way or do the Wisconsin way. And uh, you know, it, and he you know he soured relationships with uh, some in-state coaches. We reported on that back in 2014, right? In 2014. And and on top of that, you know, he recruited guys. You know, guys. I mean, they're that. I, I guess I'm just saying that. Some you know, it, you feel bad for him. He's a good guy. He, I think he's a good coach. But it, it just it, going out and, and quitting. You know, I I don't know if you'd say it twice, but I mean, he left Wisconsin after getting blown out by Ohio State. So that optics wise, that doesn't look good. No, right. and, and 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 Jake, the other thing is you you know obviously we you're more of a half full and I'm more of a half empty guy. I think the jury's still out on whether or not it, I think. Gary Anderson's a good guy. I'll tell you what, though. There's a pattern here. And there's one thing that I, I think, too, you touched on or you didn't touch on. So, yeah, he said he couldn't win here. He had problems with here because he couldn't hire coaches because they didn't pay him enough. That was his issue here, right? And he had some issues with the in-state coaches. But he also has this, this history. He did it here, and he did it in Oregon State with, with Riley's recruits of running off recruits that weren't his. Instead of trying to see how they can fit him in and get something out of him, he's kind of got this history of alienating recruits that weren't his. And I know every coach, you know, wants their people in there, wants their kids in there, but I think that he, to an extreme, uh, made it weird with the other recruits that weren't his. And so he's got a pattern. And I don't know that, that he'll get a big time job again for a while. I think he's going to have to go the route of finding a small school. Um, and and rebuilding it there and getting some credibility back because you're right now he's done this twice yeah. and uh, you know at some point you know at some point you have to uh, start pointing fingers and say hey you've got a history now once is is anomaly twice is a trend and we'll see what happens in his next job I'm sure he's going to coach somewhere maybe he'll take an assistant job or like I said maybe he'll go to a smaller school and try to rebuild the program um, and he'll try to reprove himself but 
Yeah, I'm, I wasn't wasn't real wasn't uh, surprised to hear it. I, I was surprised that it happened that quickly. Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean I, I think that quickly. I mean, and you know he. <sighs> I, I I don't know how to describe it. Where you know I, I guess that it just it just I don't know why. I mean, going to Corvallis, I could see like he wanted to be closer out to the West Coast with family and, and not being that as far away compared to being at Wisconsin, and obviously not being able to you know play uh, or his style, of what he wanted to do, his vision, uh, and you know Wisconsin's offensive line, and some of it his fault, some of it just due to the attrition and, and dealing with. Uh, mass issues in terms of players having to leave the program that were offensive linemen uh, you know when he when Paul Christ arrived arrived it took until this year really for the team to find depth at offensive line uh, but you know the, the style of play he wanted to bring in Tanner McAvoy he wanted to um, you know he wanted him to be his quarterback you saw what happened against LSU you saw what happened against uh, you know with that Northwestern game where they had to put in Joel Stavi and you know after having the yips and, and you know, Stavi, you know, helping lead and guide that offense uh, in terms of play calling and other stuff. And I mean, there, I can tell you from talking, from writing the book and, and who I've talked to, you know, uh, you know, uh, this, this former assistant, you know, praised him for having the intelligence and calling the plays and making adjustments uh, along with handing the ball off to one Melvin Gordon, who had a huge year that, you know, that season, obviously, and was a Heisman finalist. But, it, you know, I think that goes into one thing when you're talking about those players that, didn't uh you know that he tried to uh, push out uh, you know he you know what he did to, to joel stavi it's something that's going to be yeah. a blemish on his mark for the rest yes. of his career yes yes I, he he gave stavi the yips that that's what i think so i, I mean it's, it's one thing down the road I'll, if i ever get a chance to talk to joel again it's uh see how it's effect i mean and joel right now is at the on the practice squad with the washington redskins so you know good for him and uh yeah and whatnot but it's it's a you know i'm sure he's forgiven him uh and and joel i think has a more forgiving heart uh than most but uh but i think you know right now you know anderson you know yeah you said he tried to run off the players and it's a like you i don't wish the worst on anyone i you know and whatnot but it is intriguing to see you know gary leaves for oregon state uh, you saw Brett Bielma leave for Arkansas. Both are struggling. And if you guys get a chance to read Bucky's with quarter, John uh, Beetlejuice uh, has an article talking. He has a column just talking about the fine art of program building. And you see what Paul Christ has done at Wisconsin, going 26 and six uh, so far, and going into his, you know, still in his third season. Uh, and you see what Brett has done at Arkansas and, and Gary formerly now at Oregon State in comparison. So, you know, it's you know, the really interesting thing, though, too, though, I mean, I guess the legacy of Gary Anderson, though, and we've repeated it, I think I was on the WSCO up in Appleton on the score there. And the one good thing I mentioned, you know, about the Anderson era, besides the, you know, MG3 having that big year in 14, was the bringing in that 3-4 defense, which is now really, you know – Beforehand, Wisconsin was known for the, the, the type of offense, the ground and pound, 6'5", 330 for, for all their linemen and, and can just, you know, uh, just pile you down the field, right, in a physical running game. But that, you know, that 3-4 that defense that was brought over with Anderson and Dave Aranda, really, you know, that defense, you know, has been top-notch. 
you know, I'd say since 14, you know, and, you know, when 15, 16, and now this year, I mean, we're talking, like, there's a new standard for this defense. Uh, instead of the, a 4-3 look, this 3-4 defense and, and what, how they can utilize the talent. Um, if there's one good thing from the Gary Anderson legacy, and maybe it's the only thing, it is that bringing over that 3-4 concept, that 3-4 scheme, uh, and you're seeing it progress and evolve over the past uh, few seasons. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, there's, there's the silver line. But, yeah, other than that, uh, I know we got to get going. Uh, on that note, let's uh, say uh, anything else you want to wrap up before we take off, brother? No, no, that, uh, that covers it. Awesome. Well, on that For note, this week. On that note, we're going to come back next week. We'll, we'll break down more. We'll give our World Series predictions. Uh, who goes? Who wins it all? We'll recap Packers-Vikings. We'll talk Badgers and Purdue. And then what happens uh, with uh, when Maryland comes into town uh, for homecoming weekend on October 21st. So, uh, uh, for Polish Rifle Scott Wisniewski, this is Jay Kokorowski. Guys, have a great week. Enjoy football. Stay dry if you're at Camp Randall here. And stay tuned for uh, Bucky's Fifth Quarter and also more to come from the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza.